Welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. Amen. I want to get into the message this morning, if that's okay with you. Um, this past Tuesday, we had, a, we had our very first small groups meeting, and I, I, I heard some good things about um, those, those different small groups that we've had. I think we have seven, is it seven? Yeah, seven different small groups around, uh, around the city. And so if, if, you don't, if you're not aware of who's closest to you, uh, you can speak to Pastor Brandon Damaris. They'll, they'll let you know who's kind of zoned to you. Um, and at the first meeting, uh, we were with, with uh, Amadi and, and David in their home, the, the North Side group. Amen. Um, and we, we spoke about discipleship. And you probably did the same thing at your group. Uh, we spoke a little bit about what it meant to be a, dis, uh, a disciple. And uh, so I, I was really inspired by that discussion that I kind of want to do a little bit of a sermon on it. Um, you know, when we tend to think, when, when we think of discipleship in the Bible, we tend to think about the 12 disciples of Jesus, right? Those, those, those men that left everything that they knew, everything that they cared about, their, their jobs, some of them their family, and they went to follow and serve under uh, this man named Jesus, under his ministry. Um, and the disciples, the 12 disciples had an advantage that no one after Jesus would have. They got to see Jesus in action. And so they're, they're different than, say, the Apostle Paul. Um, the Apostle Paul was very unique. He was not one of the 12 that served under Jesus. In reality, he probably wasn't a disciple in the exact same way uh, that the 12 were. No one will ever have that privilege except those 12 men. But, but Paul is someone that I think you and I can relate to a little bit more because just like Paul, we didn't get to see Jesus in action either. Uh, you know, Paul didn't receive face-to-face instruction from his Lord Jesus. Uh, he, he wasn't able to go to Jesus in person and ask him questions about life, about the kingdom, uh, about why things were the way that they were, um, like, like, like the apostle Peter might have been. Um, Paul also didn't experience the things that Jesus did. He didn't witness um, the feeding of the 3,000 or Jesus walking on water or calming the storms or raising dead men to life. None of that. So Paul, like the majority of the world, like us, um, he heard of who Jesus was. He heard of the things that Jesus did, but ultimately he rejected him at first. And he rejected Jesus because Jesus didn't look like God. And actually, that's the title of my message this morning. That ain't God. I want to focus a little bit on, on Paul today, um, particularly before he came to Christ. So he, when he was known as Saul, not Paul. We usually think about Saul when we, when we talk about him before his, his conversion, um, we tend to think of him like as this New Testament villain, like he's a bad guy, right? Because he was, he was out persecuting Christians. He was out, um, the Bible says that he was, he was there to give approval uh, to the death of, 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 of Stephen, the martyr. Stephen was standing up for his faith. He was dedicated to what they called back then the way, which was just, you know, a follower of Christ. And, and, and Saul was there to give, uh, give approval of his, of his stoning, and he was out persecuting Christians. He was trying to do away with, with the name of Jesus because in his mind, Christianity had become a poison to the Jewish God. And so we tend to think of him as a villain, as, as a bad guy. But when you really think about Saul, he was no different than the Old Testament prophets. He was no different than them. He was a defender of the one true God. So he might as well have been 
uh, the prophet Elijah who went against, uh, you know, the, the prophets of, of, of Baal to show them who the one true God is. He might have been uh, Moses who went up against Pharaoh to show Pharaoh how powerful that his God was, that he could deliver his own people out of captivity. Or like David, who opposed the giant Goliath, the Philistine, who was, who was mocking God. In Saul's mind, this man named Jesus was, was mocking God, the one true God, by claiming that he was God. Imagine that. Imagine if someone today came and said, I am the son of God. We would reject him, probably. And so that, that's, that's what Saul was thinking. That was, that was in his mind. He believed that he was, he was doing good work, that he was on a noble mission trying to do away with, with Christianity at that time. And so he believed that he was doing the will of the Father, even after hearing the reports of Jesus, even after hearing what Jesus did Um, that he died on a Roman cross, that he resurrected again, that he stood for love and peace and mercy, and he came to bring all those things and to be be the redeemer of the world. He still rejected the truth, thinking that he was right. Until you become a follower of Christ, I want you to listen to this. Until you become a follower of Christ, you will only ever have a fragment of the truth. So maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, right now. Maybe you're not following Jesus. Maybe you're not living for Jesus. And, and you're here, obviously, maybe because you believe that there is a God, there is, there is something up there. Um, but with all due respect, if, if that's all you believe, you only have it maybe half right. You're only, you only have a fragment of the truth because there's more, there's more to it. There's uh, the Abrahamic monotheisms, um, make up a huge population of, of, of our world. In fact, 2005, it was 54% uh, of, of, of the world that adhered to one of the Abrahamic uh, monotheisms, which include Islam, Christianity, Judaism. They all affirm the God of Abraham. So a Muslim can say that he's a devout man of God. Uh, a Jewish person can say that she's a devout a woman of God, and the Christian can say the same thing. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said that no one will see the Father if not through me. So until you become a disciple of Christ, unless, unless you pick up your, cro- your cross and follow me, you will only have it half right. You may think that you're doing the will of the Father, but I and the Father are one. That's what Saul was thinking. Thinking that he was right. Thinking that he was doing the will of the Father, but ultimately rejecting the truth. How many of us have been so caught up in our own version of the truth that we reject the actual truth? And we're convinced that we're right. See, it wasn't that Saul was, was serving a false god. He wasn't serving a false god. He was serving the God of the Old Testament. He was serving the same, the same Yahweh that, that, that Jesus claimed to be a part of. But the difference with, with Saul is he was rejecting such an integral part of who God was. Some of you guys know the song, Spice Girls, if you want to be my lover, right, got to get with my friends. Yeah, that, that's like if you want to accept me, if you want to follow me, if you're going to say that you're going to love me, you have to love everything about me. So, so by rejecting the son, you're also rejecting the father because the, 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 the son and the father are one. Amen. And Saul was rejecting the son. He was rejecting the son. How can, how can a father accept the love of someone who is trying to destroy his son? It's not going to work out. No father will accept that. Now, before Jesus stepped onto the scene, 
what Saul was doing would have been perfectly fine, right? He was, he was defending the truth, but the entirety of the truth hadn't yet been revealed to mankind until Jesus stepped onto the scene. Now it was revealed, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians, where he describes a mystery of the, uh, of the gospel having now been revealed through Jesus. It was revealed, and Saul was very slow to accept it. And why did he reject it? This is kind of the whole theme here. Why did Saul reject Why do so many people today know about Jesus, hear about Jesus, and reject him? It's because Jesus didn't look like God. He didn't look like God. And, and so we kind, of, we kind of act like Saul in our own way, you know, where God delivers something to us, and, and we get it, and, and we kind of set it down because it doesn't look like God. The wrapping paper looks like a three-year-old did it, or, or Ryan did it, because I'm terrible at wrapping. And it doesn't look like God, the things that, that we receive from him. And so when we're asking God for a new car, and then our friend offers to give us his, his 1995 Honda Civic, we're like, that ain't God. That's the devil. The devil's trying to confuse blessing from God. I, I don't want that. Or when you've been asking God for a child for so many years, he hasn't given it to you. And then when you turn like 49 years old, you're pregnant. You're like, this ain't God. This is unhealthy. This is risk. Or when you sink down, church, like so many of us have, to our lowest lows, we're like, this ain't God because God is the God of the highest heights. This ain't God. This isn't where God wants me. So God is trying to come through for us sometimes, church, but, but we, don't, we don't accept it because we reject that it looks like God. We're like, this doesn't look like God. And we're over here crying out to God that he never answers our prayers, that he never listens, that he's absent in our life. But in reality, God is trying to send that blessing to you, and you don't bother accepting it because you think that ain't God. Am I preaching a little bit? God might be trying to deliver something to you, and you're like, no, that, that ain't God. I'm going to keep on waiting. And I think about, I think about Moses. I love the whole narrative of Moses when they're, when they're crossing the, the Red Sea. Moses and the Israelites, they're trying to escape Egypt, right? And Pharaoh and his army are behind them, and they get to this impasse, into this, this place where they can't move anymore. There's, there's an ocean in front of them. They, they're looking at, at every angle. Where do I go? There's nowhere to go. If I were Moses, I would be there and be like, this is not God. We have to find a way around it. We have to go this way. We, have, we might have to swim. We have to build a boat. There's something that we have to do. And then, and then God tells Moses something here in Exodus 4, 14, 16. He says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Did you hear that? That's what, that's what God told Moses. Had I been Moses, my reasoning would have been, God, this is a stick. If anything, it's for fashion. It makes me look important. I'm the only one that has this giant stick. But ultimately, it's a piece of wood. And, and you want me to lift it up. And, and, and through by it, you're going to part the Red Sea. This thing is a piece of wood. This ain't God. It's crazy. It's crazy the useless things that God can use to make powerful. Because God doesn't need something of might, something of power, because he is the epitome of all those things. If we're ever going to get to that point of complete faith, church, in our God, we have to know that he's, he's, he's going to use situations, he's going to use people, he's going to use objects that don't look like God, but it's from God. 
And Saul, he had heard these things during his, his, uh, his whole journey to, to destroy Christianity. He heard these things about who Jesus was. And I imagine him kind of reasoning and sitting down and, and kind of thinking, well, could he be who he says he is? And then he looks at all the facts, and then he rejects it. Because you have to think about the facts. The God of the universe doesn't become a helpless infant born in a bed of hay. You're telling me that the God of the universe came down and the profession he chose was a carpenter. Couldn't have been like a scientist or like a, you know, an astronaut or something real cool. He's a, he's a, no disrespect to carpenters, but like, this is God, right? God is, he became a carpenter. The God of the universe doesn't die in the worst way possible in ancient Rome. The cross was the equivalent, guys, to, to, to the modern electric chair. The worst possible way. And so when he's thinking about this, I, I want you to think about someone today in prison getting the death penalty, the electric chair. Are we going to think that that person is, is God? If anything, he's, he's, a, he's a criminal. He was, he was crazy. So, so Saul, he, he's, he's looking at all these facts. And he's like, this can't be God. But God does things all the time that are, that are meant to look like something else in order to test our faith. And God might be trying to deliver something to you this morning, church, and you just keep sending it back because you think that, that ain't God. It doesn't look like God. It doesn't feel like God. It feels a little unpleasant. It doesn't look like a blessing. It looks like a curse. It's, this isn't of God. And this is something that you, you come to recognize even more after you become a disciple of Christ. Because as a disciple of Christ, you've experienced the goodness of God. Amen. Have we all experienced the goodness of God? Have we experienced uh, provision in our lives and, and peace and love? And, and we, have this, we have this peace that everything is going to be okay. Pastor, Pastor Greg Laurie said that for a Christian, the best days are always ahead of us. I love that. Right? So we've experienced as, as followers of Christ the goodness of God. And so when we go through situations as a disciple of Christ that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't hashtag blessed, we think, man, that, that ain't God. Because I've experienced God. I've experienced the good God, and this isn't a good situation. This is why being a, a true disciple of Jesus is so important, church. Don't just be someone that comes to church on Sundays. Don't just be someone that said that prayer of salvation a long time ago. Be a disciple of Christ. Because when you, be, when you become a disciple of Christ, you really get to know Jesus on an intimate level. You become his student. You try to live in a way that reflects his life. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the Father, so you're able to discern what's from God and what isn't. Did he know that you could be, a, you could be saved and not be a disciple? It's very, it's very possible. You can receive salvation in an instant, but discipleship takes a lifetime. Because it's, it's the process of not just picking up your cross, but walking with it all the days of your life. A lot of people pick up their cross, man. People in a, an emotional, vulnerable state, they'll come to church, they'll hear a word, and they're like, yes, I need that Jesus in my life. And they'll say that prayer of salvation, and they raise their hand, and then they, they pick up their cross and maybe they start walking a little bit. But the, as soon as they get to that mountain that's standing in front of them, 
that mountain, that, that Red Sea that they have to cross, they look at the cross and they're like, I got to carry this thing over that. I got to carry my heavy cross through that. How, how am I, how am I going to survive? I need all hands on board. How, how can I carry my cross when I'm barely going to be able to carry myself? And that's the point where so many people just abandon that cross. And that's why it's so important to be a disciple. That's why they say salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you. Because the disciples of Christ are required to go a lot further than those who, who choose not to be a disciple. We have, to, we have to be ready to leave everything behind, man. If we truly love Christ, we're going to have to get through the things that don't always look like God. And one thing that I really love about Paul's story is his encounter with Christ. Because if it wasn't for this encounter, Paul, he's probably the most influential man ever besides, besides Jesus. I mean, he really shaped uh, today's, the, the modern church. And without having an encounter with Jesus... He would have left this world as Saul, not Paul. He might have been, went down in history like, like the Emperor Nero who sought to, who was burning Christians alive. That could have been him. But he was fortunate enough to have this encounter with Christ. Church, do you know how important it is to have an encounter with Christ? An encounter with Christ. Like, like a breakthrough. Like an intervention. Every time you come here to the feet of Jesus, it, it's got to be more than just casual. It's got to be more than just, hey, hey, Jesus, how you doing? You know, it's been a, it's been a while. Uh, you're looking good. I love you, right? Uh, I want to bless you. No, it's got to be something like, man, God, Jesus, I'm, I'm going through something in my life, and I need you just to, I just need you to take over. I need you to break the chains. That is having an encounter. That's having a breakthrough. That's what we need more of. That's not what, the, that, that's not what we're getting enough of in church. You don't really get an encounter with the worship song. You don't really get an encounter with a simple prayer or, or, or a word. It's, it's having intimacy with Jesus. That's what it means to have an encounter. Make that an essential part of your walk with Christ, to have experiences with him, to get to know him personally more and more every day. Saul has this encounter with Jesus in Acts 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I know we're getting to the main passage a little late in the sermon, but... Acts 9, he's on his way to Damascus, continuing doing what he believes to be the Lord's work. He's, he's out to, to destroy Christians, and he has this encounter with Jesus, and it's up here. Uh, verse 3 says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. See, he gets to this point where he has this encounter with Jesus. And there's no more denying that this isn't God. Right? Like a, a light shines on him and he's like, it's like, boom. Saul, why are you persecuting me? This, this is Jesus. This is the one that you've been against. This is the name that you've been trying to, to exterminate. And Saul gets one more chance to finally accept 
the truth. Here's Jesus in the fullness of his glory. Everything that Jesus, everything that, that, uh, that Saul rejected is now standing in front of him. And if he's finally going to accept the truth, he has to become a disciple of Christ. That's it. Jesus commissions him. He says, why are you persecuting me? And then he says, go. He commissions him. He tells him, you're about to become a disciple. Sometimes when we've rejected the truth so many times, God has to do something so drastic to get our attention. This is why so many people come to Christ after having a near-death experience. You see them, I mean, it's happened so many times to people I know. They come to church and they're like, I'm like, I mean, why are you here? All right, because I'm not expecting you to be here. And so many times the answer is, bro, yesterday I almost died. (laughs) So I want to be sure that if I die, I'm right. This is why after 9-11, all the churches in America, man, they they were filled. God uses desperate situations and and in those desperate moments, people come to Christ. I heard this testimony once of this, of this person. He, he was a preacher. Uh, he was on board a, a plane. And um, he sat down next to this woman. And as they took off, they were in the air. He, he takes out his Bible. And he's going to begin reading it. And he says that this woman let out like this huge sigh and an eye roll to go with it. As soon as he, as soon as he brought it out, she was like, oh. And he said that on this particular occasion, he, his, his flight was delayed, so he was already really annoyed. He said, normally, I would just let it go, right? But this time I said something because, um, because I, was, I, I, was, I was annoyed. So I, he, the, the, this preacher says, does my Bible bother you? And then she said, I don't, it doesn't bother me, but I find it a little silly. Um, I'm an atheist. So she points out that, hey, she's an atheist. And so they begin to have this discussion um, 30,000 feet in the air. And it's probably not very civil because they're both annoyed with each other. And so as they're, as they're having this, uh, this discussion about God, all of a sudden the plane hits major turbulence and everyone starts freaking out. The gas mask, uh, the oxygen mask, they, they, they fall down. They have to put them on. And, and the plane begins to make a steep descent into the ground, into the earth. And everyone's freaking out. They, they think this is it. And the preacher recalls this woman in a very loud voice saying, Oh, my God, an atheist. <laughs> Who are you calling to? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Over and over. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're going to die. Right. And the preacher says he used that as an opportunity to say, hey, woman, okay, we might die. Do you want to accept the Lord uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? She says, yes. (laughs) And they and she he leads he he leads her to the prayer of salvation. And she, she says it and she's crying. Amen. She gets saved in that moment. And then the plane smooths out. <laughs> I don't know if she stayed safe. I, I, I hope so. But, but in, in our desperate moments, that's when, that's when we come to Christ. Because God is, he, he's like, he's, he reaches a point where he's like so fed up with you. He's been trying to send you that, that package. He's been trying to deliver that promise to you. And, it's, and he's been delivering it and delivering it. And, and it's been like, return to sender, return to sender, return to sender. And he's trying to do it again. And you haven't opened it. So he gets to the point where he's like, all right, look, I got to do something crazy. So that you can listen to me. And so for Saul... He was hit with a blinding light. 
saw the glory of God. Man, I would have loved to have seen that. And I love the significance of, of, of his temporary blindness because Saul was so convinced that he was following the truth. He thought his, his, his vision was crystal clear. And then Jesus appears to him and Saul can no longer see for three days. Because his vision had to be aligned with that of a disciple of Christ. And there had to be this restoration uh, process for his eyes that, that, that he needed to undergo. Because even though before his vision was perfectly fine, he could see perfectly fine, he was still not seeing the truth. So Jesus had to correct his vision by taking it away. And so the next time that Paul opened his eyes and he was able to see, now he was seeing Jesus for everything that he was. I love that. He became blind so that he could see. Because before, when he could see, he was blind. I love that, man. That's so deep. <laughs> and that's what, that's what Jesus did. When you tell yourself, and I, I'm, about to, I'm about to end. But church, listen, when you, when you tell yourself, when you convince yourself that something isn't of God, get ready. Because God might have to do something drastic in order to get your attention to make you see that it is God. Maybe you don't want to be called to what God has been calling you to. So you convince yourself, oh, that ain't, that's not of God. That's just my emotions. That, that's not really what God wants for me. Or maybe you've been suppressing that voice that's been telling you that that man in your life is, is no good for you. That woman in your life is no good for you. And you're like, no, that, that can't be God because God wants me to be happy. And I love, I love him. I love her. So we say, that's not God. We got to know that God isn't always going to send us our blessings in a shiny box. It's not going to look pretty all the time. Discipleship was never meant to be glamorous. It isn't. And, the, and so, you know, prosperity preachers, they're, they're lying, man. A lot of them are. You can be su successful. I'm not telling you as a Christian you're going to just suffer all the time. But, but discipleship was never meant to be glamorous. It was meant to be kind of hard. And so God wants to bless you. And as you're getting blessed, you see it as a curse. We have to correct our vision, church. Why do you think Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and not a stallion? Why did, why did Jesus wear a crown of, of thorns and not a crown of gold. A crown of gold, that looks like God. A white, beautiful, bulky stallion, that looks like God. But a donkey? That looks pathetic. You call yourself God? A crown of thorns, you, you call yourself God? Three nails in your flesh, you call yourself God? You're dying in the worst possible way ever. You call yourself God? And three days later, Three days later, he went through the fire. He went through the worst possible situation ever. He said, look, I'm going to get people's attention. And now, centuries later, Jesus is still the most influential person ever. He got, he got the world's attention. But now, the question is, are we going to accept that as truth or are we going to reject it? Are we going to say, that ain't God, that ain't real, that ain't true? Or are we going to look 
with discernment and with crystal clear godly divine vision that's what we need in the church divine vision to be able to say man this is God my bank account is at zero but God is going to do something I I suffered a loss I suffered a death in my family but God is going to work something out here I'm down in the dumps I can't catch a break but this is God this is God doing something and last night I I was a Last night I, I was on Instagram and I, I saw a friend of mine posted, um, posted a, a picture of, of, of his friend um, and he passed away. And he tagged, he tagged the person. He tagged the person that, that passed away. And just being nosy, uh, I, I click on, on his profile, the guy that passed away. And um, like I, I was really digging. Like it was kind of, kind of stalkerish. Like, I was there for, like, 15 minutes. But it's only because I started getting clues, more and more clues. And then I, I ended up on Facebook, on his profile. And everyone was posting their condolences. And they, they were saying stuff like, um, I wish I could have helped. I wish I would have been there. And so I, I don't know exactly what happened, but it kind of looks like, it kind of sounds like suicide. And I, I, I again... I was, I, was going, I was going way back because the, people were posting pictures of him in church, of him a positive person, a happy person. And then I went back like a few weeks and I started seeing this guy's posts. And, 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 and I know this sounds funny because I'm really stalkerish, but it, it, it's, I, 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 kept, I kept seeking because it was, it was very hurtful for me. Because I saw one post, I read one post that had him just venting, and he was he was talk he was talking to God, and he was saying, "God, where are you?" And I mean, he was using vulgar language, and he says, um, "You put me through so much, you know, this and that, and and I, but but you're not gonna win." And I, I saw, I mean, post after post, he was so angry at God, and he was so bitter. He said, "I mean." It, it really sounded like he was in these end stages of his, of his life because he was going to commit suicide. And then I went further back and further back where he, he was in love with God. And so I don't know this person at all. And I don't know exactly what happened. But what I got was that something happened in his life that told him, man, this isn't God. This, this, is, this is ugly. This isn't the God that's portrayed in the Bible. And my heart just broke. It broke for him because a brother was lost because he got so low and he he couldn't recognize maybe God is doing something here. Maybe God is doing, maybe maybe I'm at the lowest point ever, but God is going to turn it around because he loves me and if I just stay on the course I'm going to see with my eyes the victory and it's so sad that so many people miss the point they miss the blessing because they say it doesn't it's not God and you know for some people it doesn't lead to a tragic death like that 
but it does lead to forsaking their cross. So I just, I simply want to encourage you, church, that when you're going through something, don't, don't be so quick to say, this ain't God. Don't be so quick to say, this is the devil. This is the curse. Because if your heart is all in for Jesus Christ, what does his word say? I love it. I love what his word says. He's, he's working to, together all things good for those that love him. So even the bad things, even your lowest points, even the things that don't look like God, God's going to pop out three days later, and you're going to see a victory. Amen. Why don't we stand? Amen. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at primeraiglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.